Romans chapter 8. And uh, I should say a, a disclaimer before I start preaching. It's a very long preamble. But um, I, I actually looked at my notes and oh, this afternoon I had to drive just before church to Mount Barker and back. And so I listened to my sermon because I preached this a couple of months ago. Okay, And I don't normally like listening to myself talk in all seriousness. It's a really awkward thing. But I was listening to myself preach and I was driving along. And after a while I thought this is pretty good. Uh, this isn't too bad. And anyway, I, um, and then I got back here and I opened up my notes and half of my notes weren't there. I, I don't know what happened, but anyway, so uh, I'm going to have to see how I go tonight. But it's an amazing passage of Scripture. If you know God's Word, you will hear verses in this uh, passage that you've heard before. If you don't really know God's Word very much, you will hear amazing passages that I hope you will learn, take to heart and, and hear because they're so powerful. So we're going we're gonna to do Romans chapter 8 verses uh, 28 through to the end, 39. Uh, if you've got a Bible uh, on your phone or in paper, I highly encourage you to open it up and so you can actually follow the text. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen. Uh, so starting at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things or to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not sure what I meant to add to that. It's a pretty good passage. But I'll try and bring some uh, understanding out of it. Uh, have you ever seen like in a movie or a TV show, <coughs> kind of an old school thing where someone will be trapped in a, in a burning building and there are about five five stories up and they're at the window and the fire 
uh, men, uh, fire people, might be a PC thing to say these days, the fire people, <laughs> firefighters, they gather, I'm just distracting from the actual story, they gather at the bottom and they hold out that, that circular um, thing that, that you're meant to jump onto, right? It's like the parachute thing and uh, they, they hold it there and they're like, jump, we've got you, we've got you, jump. You've you, you seen that? You can imagine that story, you can imagine yourself in that situation. I've got you, we've got you, we've got you, just let go, we've got you. And this passage, and I think what Paul is trying to lay out through the whole of Romans, is essentially that he's trying to say, God has got you. God has got you. If you put your trust in Jesus, God has got you. And, uh, and there's no situation where God hasn't got you. Uh, most religions don't have that assurance. It's kind of like God's going to hold out the, the parachute and say, I've got you, if you do certain things through your life, if you're able to maintain certain things, if you follow certain rituals, certain practices, certain things, then, then maybe God's going to come along and say, okay, you know, you've proven yourself, so at the end of your life, I'll hold out the thing and say, I've got you. But that's not Christianity. Christianity says that through the cross of Christ, through the blood of Jesus, he holds out the parachute and says, I've got you, no matter what. I'm not going to drop you. You're safe. Uh, but we wonder, has God really got us? Now, what about when we go through some hard times in life and people suffer? Oh, I'm not really sure God has got me. And what about when we sin and we know we've sinned and we're, we feel that sense of guilt and shame? We think, some of us think, has God really got us? Are we really saved? Are we really sure about this? And what about when we struggle in our faith? And what about when you don't feel God? What about when God feels distant and silent? Has God really got you then or when you don't hear from God? Has God still got you? This assurance that cannot be Shaken. Jesus said, when you build your life, the scripture says, build your life on Jesus and his teachings, you build your house on a rock. And when the storm comes, you will stand because it's a firm foundation. And so this passage, this wrapping up uh, of chapter 8, wants to bring to us the assurance that God has got you now and forevermore. And starts off with five unshakable convictions that God has got us, particularly in situations of suffering. I know I spoke on suffering last week, if you were here, present suffering and future glory, but this is uh, a, a sort of a wrap-up and a final part of that. It says this, five uh, unshakable convictions. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. That's the five Five unshakable convictions. And we know, God wants us to know these things and be assured of these things. Uh, Jesus said about, or the, uh, Paul has said in Corinthians, now about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, and I would say even more, Paul would say here in Romans, through what he's writing, now about your assurance and about times of suffering, I don't want you to be ignorant. And we know 
that in all things, in all things, not just good things, not just easy things, not just happy things, not just positive things, in all things, God works. God works in all things. Now, that's a a little hard for us to get our head around because a lot of things happen in life that are difficult. And I certainly don't believe God causes uh, all difficult things, suffering and pain and some of the horrible things that people go through. But I do believe that God works in all things. And He works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. Um, last night we had a, a talent night thingo at fundraiser, which was, which was funny. And that these guys told a story at the end, which is actually kind of the same as this sermon illustration, but I preached it before they did it. So just letting you know, if you're there, I'm not ripping them off. Uh, it's a story, this is a bit of a different one. Story about set in the um, America in the time of the Civil War, right? And so this guy's talking to his friend. He said, oh, my son's had this stuff happen to him. He said, oh, he... He went out and uh, he'd saved up all this money and he bought this fantastic horse. And the guy says, oh, that's wonderful. He says, yeah, but then he went riding it and the, the thing bucked him off and he fell down and he broke his leg in three places. He said, oh, that's terrible. He said, but no, no, it's, it's actually okay because, because then um, the, the drafters for the, for the war came through town and because my son's leg was broken, he didn't have to go and fight in the battle where he could have been killed. Guy said, oh, that's wonderful. He said, yeah, but in the battle, they won this great victory. And they won all these awards and they were, were rewarded with, with riches. And my son missed out. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, but then these guys, they, all the soldiers then with all their money and their, their badges on, they went into town and they all partied and got drunk and then they all got arrested and got locked up. But my son ended up missing out. He goes, oh, that's wonderful for your son. <laughs> Not so good for the other people. Um, anyway, it's a bit of a silly story. The point of the story is we have this uh, tendency to perceive things in a moment. We perceive things and judge them from a human perspective at the time that they're happening, but we somehow miss the greater perspective that God can actually work through even really difficult situations. We have a sovereign God who sits outside of time and knows the beginning from the end and knows us intimately, and He's working all things together for good. You know the Apostle Paul's story? The Apostle Paul went around persecuting Christians. That's terrible. Actually, you don't have to repeat it. That's going to be too cliched. Uh, But then he meets Jesus and has his life turn around. He becomes an apostle and he starts sharing the gospel and planting churches almost straight away. That's wonderful. But then he gets arrested and put into prison and that's Terrible. terrible. But while he's in prison, he preaches to the guards and some of the guards become Christians and that's wonderful. And then um, eventually, uh, he actually gets sent away from his homeland, Israel, and he gets sent to Rome where he knows he's going to be executed. And that's... Thank you. Um, but while he's there, uh, in fact, he's always desired to meet the, the Roman Christians so he can speak into their lives. And he gets the opportunity to do that. And that is wonderful. But eventually he is executed 
and that's terrible. <laughs> Though strangely, you're laughing, which is really bizarre. No, um, that is terrible. But then he goes to be with the Lord, and that's wonderful. So, you know, there it is. Um, our dream uh, in life is to be healthy, wealthy, successful, comfortable, and happy. And to do that by avoiding physical, emotional, pain, struggle, grief, and loss. No one wants those things, least of all me. But I also know this, we grow more through failure than success. We grow more through loss than through gain. And we grow more through hardship than comfort. And God's desire for us is that we grow in faith to maturity. And so God is working in us, and uh, for we know that God works in all things for those who have been, uh, God works for the good of those, <laughs> we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. There's five unshakable, five, what was it? Oh, I can't even remember what it was. Five unshakable convictions, God has got you. Then we get five undeniable affirmations that God has got you. Let's have a look at these. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. There's five undeniable, undeniable affirmations that God has got you. And these have got a couple of tricky words in here. The words foreknew and predestined. Now, to be honest, I could probably speak for hours or someone great theologian could speak for hours. In fact, you could get theologians in a room and they could debate for hours about the exact meaning of the word predestination and foreknew and what that means. And so uh, I'm not going to spend hours doing that, just a couple of minutes. Uh, predestination, uh, some would understand to be God ordaining those who will be saved. And there's a wrestle in theology between the fact that God is sovereign and is in control and is Lord of all and ordains and knows the end from the beginning, but also ordains the events of human history. And this wrestle between, well, we, we believe that to be true, um, but also there's this question of, well, are we just robots and we make no choices and God just directs everything? Or uh, do we have a degree of free will in our lives? And there's, uh, I think most people would say there's at least uh, a level of free will. So the sovereignty of God and the free will of people, the ordaining and pre, uh, um, pre-ordaining of people to be saved versus their own decision to receive Christ. How that fits together is very difficult. But what I would want to say around God's foreknowledge and predestination that we be not saved in this verse, it says predestined that we would be conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus. I would say this, the most important part in understanding this is that before we thought about God, He thought about us. Before we chose God or received Jesus, He had chosen us. Before we felt like we were reaching out to God, He was already reaching out to us. Before we decided that we love God, He had decided that He loved us. And so His saving work precedes anything that we do, and the salvation that we have comes entirely through 
His work, not through ours. At best, we open our hands and receive it as a gift. And uh, foreknowledge in the Bible is strongly associated with this, t- this idea of foreloving. It's not just a, a head knowledge that he foreknew that we would come to Christ. It's more about the fact that he foreloved us. Before we loved him, he loved us and made a way for us. Uh, if anyone's seen the picture of God in the Sistine Chapel, it's on the roof of the Sistine Chapel. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen a picture of it. There's God reaching out to man. And there's man reaching back to God. And, and God is like, like this, right? <laughs> He's got a big beard, looks like uh, former Pastor Colin Rolfs. And uh, <laughs> he's reaching out like this, and man's kind of like laying back like this, right? That's a theological statement in that picture. God is reaching out to us, and we just kind of like receive. <laughs> it's his action. Sorry, everyone's like, oh, I was like mimicking my action there. Okay. Um, those he predestined, he called. He called to himself. That's a call of salvation to be saved. He called. Those he called, he justified. Uh, he justifies us just as if we have not sinned, as some people like to say. Uh, justification, we've gone through that over many weeks and explained that. But it's uh, God justifying us. Um, just as if we had not sinned. And those he justified, he glorified. And I want to focus in on this term, glorified. Because interestingly, all of these things, four of the five, foreknew, predestined, called and justified, are in the past. But the glor- us being glorified is in the future. Last week I spoke about present sufferings and future glory. But interestingly, here he says... Uh, that we are glorified in exactly the same way that he says we are uh, called and and justified and and God foreknew and predestined. So he speaks about four things in the past, one in the future, but he writes all of them as though they've already happened, including one that hasn't yet happened in completion. I hope I haven't lost you here. Why does he do that? And it's interesting that this is something that some theologians, some biblical scholars get really, really excited about. And I said I lost my notes. I found a great quote from a theologian who was basically just so excited about this little part of Scripture. He says that, he said basically that this is written in the past tense, even though it's a future event, because Paul is so assured of the fact that we will be glorified and through what Jesus has done, that he writes it as though it's already happened. And, and this theologian wrote this like passage, he said, oh, this is the most exciting tense, use of the aorist tense of a verb in the New Testament. You could tell that he spent weeks just like frothing over this particular reference, which most of us just go, it's not really that exciting, but it's still cool. God, it is so sure, God has got us so much that he can say in this verse that we have been glorified even though the fullness of being glorified is yet to happen. Does that make sense? All right. So there's five, um, five absolute uh, unshakable convictions and five undeniable affirmations. We then get to five questions that get asked. And here's the questions. Uh, 
First one is this, verse 33, if you've got it open. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Whom will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Um, And the answer, it's a rhetorical question, the answer is no one will bring any charge. And yet, Paul writes this to the Christians in Rome who in the earthly sense could probably answer, well, who could bring a charge against us? The Roman authorities, um, pretty much, you know, Caesar, like the most powerful empire in the world, could bring a charge against us. If you ask this to a a Christian in a closed country in uh, the Middle East today, who could bring a charge against you? They would say, well, the, the authorities, the secret police, the religious police, our family, our community... All of these people could bring a charge against us. But Paul writes, who could bring the charge, uh, who would bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And the rhetorical answer is, no one. So what's he saying here? Well, Jesus had charges brought against him, right? They, they, they brought charges against him, trumped up charges. They put above uh, the cross the, the charges that were, were, um, were made against him. But Jesus just defeated those charges and he died and then he rose again in victory and all those charges are just like, it's like they've just been, they're gone, meaningless now. Who's bringing any charge against him? No one. Who's bringing a charge against those whom God has chosen? Us. No one in the end. There'll be no charge against us. When we stand before God, Uh, It'll be like, well, who's got a charge against this person? Who's got a charge against you? And the answer will be, no one, because of the blood of Jesus has made us clean. Uh, It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Again, no one. No one will condemn you. No one can condemn you. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate you from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, uh, which is to say being dying by the sword. Can any of those things, can any of those things separate you from the love of God? And the answer is no. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is a strange verse that's taken from a psalm when the Israelites were under attack from all the nations around them and they felt like they were like sheep to be slaughtered. But had God abandoned them? Absolutely not. God was still there with them and he saved them through that. And Paul brings this final conclusion and uh, I don't really think I can add a single word to this. Verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You can walk around being a Christian today uh, on a university campus, in a workplace, and like Christianity is kind of under, under fire a bit, isn't it? Like, do you guys feel that? Yep. And, and, and it feels like um, there's all these powerful forces that, that are standing against Christianity today. And sometimes you can feel pretty weak. And sometimes it feels like, you know, 
others are winning victory. You know, the media or keyboard warriors or a small minority that's very vocal and, and then in the, and law after law seems to be getting passed that is not in line with Christianity but almost directly opposed to it. It feels like we're losing. Do you know what? Christians for 2,000 years have been up against it, generally with serious persecution for 2,000 years. And do you know what? For every day of that time, since the day that Jesus rose, Christians have actually, in reality, been more than conquerors through Christ. And we are more than conquerors. Whatever you face because of your faith, we don't yet face persecution, but maybe you will in time. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. Maybe the only persecution you'll feel is someone paying you out or having a go at you for being a Christian. Maybe God will put you in a situation where you face more than that. But whatever the case, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you, Jesus Christ. And then he finishes with these words, for this reason, and I'm just going to read these words and then I'm just going to say amen. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you've put your faith in Jesus, then the saving work of the cross means that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. That is why we come with joy and with a song of praise, because nothing could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing changes that ever. Past, present, future. That is the hope we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.